Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined today by Maddie Watts, and thank you all for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Rabbits later in the episode, but for now, let's get into our case for the today. Maddie, how are you doing? I'm good. How about you, Mike? I'm doing well. Um, I wanted to give you a small piece of advice for this case before we get into it to try to try to steer things in the right direction. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this case is all about the journey. It's not about the destination, but it's it's about the journey. Okay. Mm, Very vague and nonspecific cryptic. and uh, cryptic. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Before we begin, do you have any, any questions? Nope. I'm ready to go. Okay. Ready for the journey. The journey. <laughs> <laughs> So today is round number 14 of the game. Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. She has 15 minutes to complete the full case, and she does not know what this case is ahead of time. If Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I've listed out beforehand, she wins. If she doesn't, or if she performs a dangerous action, I win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABIM cases that I had on my examination, and they are not real patients. Maddie, please take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you, outline a human body on the left side of it, and let me know when you're ready. I'm ready to go. Dr. Watts, this will be a single patient encounter, and you will have 15 minutes to complete the entire case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Nope. Okay. Let me start the timer. Timer has been started. Dr. Watts, you are working a nice sunny day in southeast Pennsylvania. The Phillies just lost the NLCS game seven and spirits are low, but the next chart ends up in your rack and it's a two-year-old with a leg injury. All right. So I walk into the room and what do I see? You see a comfortable-appearing two-year-old sitting on presumably his mother's lap, and he is in no acute distress. All right. Um, can we work on getting an opening set of vitals for this two-year-old? Sure. Um, the nurse obtains an opening set of vital signs, and it looks like heart rate is about 112. Respiratory rate is 20. Blood pressure is 97 over 67. Oxygen, 99% on room air. And temperature is 99.2. And they actually got that as a rectal temperature in triage. All right. So I will go ahead and get started with my history. Um, are you mom? Yeah, I'm the mother. Okay, nice to meet you. I'm Dr. Watts. Um, so tell me what brings you guys to the emergency department today. Well, so yesterday we, we went to a neighbor's birthday party. You know, they they kind of try to outdo everyone else in the neighborhood. So, you know, you know how that usually goes. They bought a bounce fort or rented a bounce fort. I don't know. Maybe they bought it. But um, they had a bouncy castle in their yard. And I brought uh, Jeremy over to play in it. So 
we spent all day over at their house. He was bouncing around and he was fine after, you know, after the party went home, nothing out of the ordinary. But when he woke up this morning, he was limping and he really wasn't putting much weight on his right leg. Okay. Um, so he's not been wanting to put weight on it. Will he take a few steps for you or he won't put any weight on it at all? You know, it, it's really hard to say. It just seems like he's really favoring his left leg. He may put a little weight on it, but, you know, it's really hard for me to say. Okay. He's just not, he's favoring his left leg over his right. Okay. Have you noticed any swelling or bruising, redness? Uh, he, I mean, he's a two-year-old. He's covered in bruises, but uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Okay. Does he seem bothered when you just try to move his leg when he's not walking, like if he's sitting down or in your lap? I'll be completely honest. I As soon as I saw him trying to walk like that, I just brought him straight here. Okay. Um, and he's otherwise healthy, no medical problems? Yeah, he has no medical problems. Okay. Does he take any medications? He takes no medications. Any allergies to medications? He has no known drug allergies. Has he ever had to be hospitalized for anything? No. Nope. He was born in a hospital, stayed overnight, and was sent home the next day. Okay. Um, and no surgical history? He has never had surgery. All right. Um, well, I go to examine the patient. Um, looking at him, do I see any bruising anywhere on the skin when I look, uncover his back, his trunk? Um, his groin area, do I see any bruising anywhere? Uh, you see some scattered bruises to both of his lower extremities. They all kind of seem to be in the same stages of healing. Okay. Um, and then does he um, have any um, abnormalities of his cardiopulmonary exam? Uh, no. Lungs are clear. Heart is regular. No loud murmurs. Okay. Um, any abdominal tenderness? His abdomen is soft and non-tender. Okay. Will he let me passively range his um, upper extremities? Uh, yeah, he he seems to let you move everything around. Doesn't seem too bothered by it. Okay. And which lower extremity is bothering him? It's his right. Okay. Um, does he let me passively range the left? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how are you ranging it? So, Please be more more specific, doctor. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I would hold his leg at the foot and at the knee. I'd want to flex and extend his hip. I'd want to flex and extend his knee and then just kind of roll his ankle in circles and see if any of that uh, bothers him or makes him cry. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem too bothered with any flexion extension movements at the hip, knee, or ankle on the left side. Okay, and I do the same thing on the right. What do I see? Um, he, you know, he has full range of motion, um, at all the joints, at the ankle joint, at the knee joint, at the hip joint with flexion and extension. He seems a little bothered by hip flexion extension, but he lets you do it all the way. Okay. And is there any redness or warmth over his hip? Uh, you do not appreciate any rash overlying his hip area and you do not palpate any asymmetric warmth over his hip area okay um and are there bruises on that side uh near the hip yes 
Uh, the bruises seem more around the shin, tibial area, bilaterally. Nothing, nothing near the hip. Okay. Um, Mom, has he been sick at all recently in the last few weeks? No, he, he's been as healthy as can be. Okay. And um, other than this bouncy house yesterday, he hasn't taken any falls that have seemed particularly traumatic to you? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. No. Um, and who all lives in the house with you guys? Uh, it's me, my husband, him, and his older brother. Okay. Um, and when I put the patient on the ground, um, and tell him to walk towards his mom, will he take any steps? Um, he, he's honestly not really following commands that well. (laughs) He's a... He's a spunky two-year-old. Okay, and he, but he won't put his feet down if we try to hold him over the ground. Yeah, he he seems to favor his left leg. Okay, and he's crying. He seems fussy. Uh, really, only when you you range it at maximum range of motion, but you can move it around. You know, probably eighty percent of the way, and he doesn't seem too bothered. Okay, um, so mom. There are several different things that can cause toddlers to favor a leg, and sometimes it can be difficult to figure out which one of the things it is since they um, can't tell us as much information. Sometimes there can be an infection in that joint after they've had another even viral infection. Um, Other times there can be trauma like fractures. Um, And since we don't have a ton of information right now, I think the best starting point would be to get some x-rays of his hip um and make sure that there's no broken bones um look for any signs of swelling or effusion and then if we see anything abnormal we may have to do some further work up from there um we can also give him some tylenol and motrin and see if he's able to put some more weight on it after that okay how much tylenol and how much motrin would you like to give the child um so we can do um 10 megs per keg of the Motrin and 15 megs per keg of Tylenol. And then if we nice. can get some um, x-rays of his hip and knee. Okay. The x-rays. X-rays are crossing over now. And the child has received the Motrin and Tylenol. So I'm looking at his x-rays. His pelvis appears grossly normal. It looks like his um, femoral heads are within the acetabulum. I don't see any obvious fracture. I don't see an obvious hip effusion. Uh, The knee joint looks okay. It looks like there's an effusion there, but I'm not quite sure. But I don't see any obvious fracture. Um... Okay. And lucky for you, uh, our our hospital here in southeastern Pennsylvania actually has uh, some some resources. Unlike ABM General, uh, the radiologist reads these films. Um, the the knee is read as normal without any effusion, fracture, or dislocation. Uh, the X-ray of the the right hip shows a possible small uh, effusion at the right hip. No fracture, no dislocation, no evidence of avascular necrosis. Okay. Um, so at this point, since we have a small effusion, um, 
I would like to go back and reassess the patient and see if he's able to bear weight after the Motrin and Tylenol. Um, he seems like he's putting a little more weight on the right side. He's he's not walking normal, but he's he's putting more weight on that right side. Okay. Um, so that's reassuring. He's able to put some weight on it. Um, he does have a small hip effusion. Still, it's possible that this could be an early septic joint. Um, I think the best way for us to figure this out would be to get lab work to add on a white count and inflammatory markers. Um, but I'd like to do some shared decision-making with mom. So um, we know that he has a small amount of fluid in his hip joint. Um, we don't see any fracture. It's still possible that he could have an infection that's brewing there. Um I'm reassured by the fact that he's able to bear weight on it and walk on it. And I think we have two reasonable options. I think we could go ahead and get some lab work and do some other testing like a white blood cell count and inflammatory markers to see if those are suggestive of infection. Or I think it'd be reasonable to have you guys go home and if it gets worse where he won't put any weight on it at all or won't let you range it at all, that you come back to the emergency department and we would do further testing at that point. Um, does either of those options sound ideal for you? Well, uh, an infection in the hip, that sounds serious, Doc. Um, I, I want you to do whatever you need to do to, to make sure that, you know, you're, you're certain that it's not an infection in his hip. Okay. Um, so there can be just transient viral infections that can also cause some inflammation in the hip. Um, I have a lower suspicion that this is a bacterial infection, which is the one we care about, given that he's not having any fever, he's able to put weight on it. Um, so I have fairly low suspicion for that at that time, at this time. Um, but the only way I guess for us to be certain would be to get some labs. Even then, if the labs looked okay, we'd probably still tell you to, uh, go home if things are, um, getting worse, come back. So, um, I just like to to talk with you about that because it would involve doing an IV for lab work. Um, so some people are very against doing any type of stick or blood work unless we have to. You're the doctor, whatever whatever you feel is appropriate. Okay. Um, if you guys don't live far from here, I have pretty low suspicion at this time. I don't necessarily think that lab work would change our management right now. So I think you'd be okay to go home. Um, keep giving him Tylenol and Motrin. Um, and just watch him closely, see if he's able to put weight on it. Um, if at any point, like I said, it gets to the point where he will not put any weight on it at all, or he cries even when you just try to touch his leg, um, then I would bring him back to the emergency department. And certainly if he develops any fevers, I'd like to see him back as well. Okay. I, I, I think that sounds okay. I, I just have one other question. Um, what about his rash? Um, sure. Can you show me his rash? Yeah, I, I, I noticed it last night when I was changing him. Um, it's on his, it's on his right flank, and the picture of the rash has been sent over. Oh, okay. So I'm seeing an annular rash. It looks kind of like a target. Um, it's just one lesion. There's no um, remaining rash. When did you first notice this? Uh, last night when I was changing him after the Bounty Castle party. Got it. Um, and so he was outside during the day for the party. Yeah, yeah. He, we're an outdoors family. He, he likes spending a lot of time outside, and we do too. 
Got it. Well, sometimes you can have uh, tick bites that you don't notice. Have, have you seen any ticks on him at all? Uh, not that I've noticed. I mean, we checked. We, we went hiking in a local state park about a month ago okay. down here in southeast Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, the rash that he has does worry me about Lyme disease, which is something that can be carried by ticks, um, which can also oh, cause some oh boy. joints. Um, fortunately, if we catch it early, we can treat it with antibiotics. So I would like to start him on some antibiotics for that. Um, the specific antibiotic is called doxycycline. Okay. H how does he take that? Um, so does he need it IV? No, he does not need to take it IV. He can take it orally. Um, so we will give him a prescription for that for seven days. Um, and then other than the rash, have you noticed any other, and the aching leg, have you noticed any other symptoms that he's had? No other symptoms. You have 30 seconds. Okay. Can we get an EKG before he leaves? Uh, e what are you looking for? Uh, any type of heart block or just any other uh, implications of Lyme disease? There, there's, there's no heart block. Okay. His heart rate on arrival was 112. Okay. Uh, he can be discharged with doxycycline. For seven days? Yes. Okay. That ends your case. Oof. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. Um, before we go through everything, how you did in the critical actions, let's talk about our sponsor for the month, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. As many of you know, Pearson Rabbits is my own personal disability and soon-to-be life insurance broker. They specialize in helping healthcare providers obtaining not just any disability insurance policy, but own occupation disability insurance. That means if you cannot do the specific job that you were trained to do, you receive your disability benefits. And that's opposed to not own occupation disability insurance, where you likely won't get paid your benefits if you can still perform other jobs. So for example, as an ER doctor, if I broke my arm and let's say, could never use my arm again. So I wouldn't be able to do procedures in the ER. I would get my full disability benefit. Um, whereas other policies, I could still theoretically teach medical students and residents, etc. Um, and in that case, I would not get my disability benefits. Stephanie Pearson literally fought through the court system herself as a practicing OBGYN who was injured on the job to obtain the disability benefits that she deserved, and now she works in the insurance industry so that you don't have to do the same. Don't wait until it's too late. Check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule an appointment today. And if you do, don't forget to mention EM Clerkship. And now, back to our episode. So, Maddie, Maddie Watts, what is your overall interpretation of the case? What is your diagnosis? I think this is Lyme disease. And I would agree with you. Great. Um, how do you think you did? Not well. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, I was very much down the septic arthritis, synovitis, pathway was like maybe this is nat and uh was waiting for the other foot to drop and then it did <laughs> um <laughs> but i realized i did not specifically ask about any rash 
Yeah, you were close. You were very close. I clarified. Um, you specifically asked for bruises on the skin, not what the skin looked like. Um, and I would have given you the rash if it was worded slightly differently. And that's kind of how it goes on The Real Deal. For, for those of you who are tuning in, um, I took my oral boards for realsies um, a couple couple weeks ago almost a couple months ago now it's been um and not giving any specific details um they are very nuanced with what you say and you have to be you know literate with what you're asking for they won't give you information that you do not ask for um so you're really close to getting that rash but no cigar um so what, what other things were you considering you mentioned a couple of them yeah, so I was thinking about septic arthritis anytime there's a child that's not walking. Um, awesome. Synovitis, which is less severe but can be like a post-viral phenomenon. Um, mm-hmm. Non-accidental trauma because uh, femur fracture is pretty high mechanism, although this child did have a potential for trauma, so maybe could have just genuine trauma. Um and then I realized at the very end when you said, what about the rash? I was like, oh my gosh, what if he has petechiae and purpura everywhere? And that's what you meant by the bruising. And I did not think about that. But something like ITP, which is going to be way more rare, but still possible. Or like some kind of coagulopathy. Yeah. Sometimes like HSP too can have these weird presentations as well. Um, but no. And then you mentioned one other thing that's really important. You already said it. NAT? Yeah, yeah. So um, what made you kind of go away from non-accidental trauma and kind of turn away from septic arthritis? Yeah, so for the non-accidental trauma, it sounds like he had bruising mostly on his shins, which he is walking and two-year-olds run around like crazy. So that's not necessarily an abnormal place to have a bruise. He didn't appear to have any like chest wall tenderness or belly tenderness. It wasn't like he had bruises in multiple stages of healing and he had a reasonable traumatic mechanism. Um, and mom seemed to be acting appropriately concerned. So all of those things were reassuring for me. I agree. No red flags for non-accidental trauma. And then what um, did you... Are there any criteria that you might have been thinking about when you were deciding whether or not to per- pursue further testing for septic arthritis? Yes, I was thinking about the Coker criteria. So <laughs> um, he, I, it's, I believe it's fever, white count over 12, um, not able to bear weight, and then ESR greater than 40, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So the only one I didn't have for sure was the ESR, but he was able to bear There's weight. one other criteria. What am I missing? One other, but it's it's more blood work. It's a white, white count greater than 12. Oh, I said that. Oh, you did. Okay, But sorry. yes, I didn't so have that. You, you were correct. missing two. Yeah, yeah but okay. he didn't have a fever and he was able to bear weight. So that already decreases. I forget what the exact percentages are, but that decreases it pretty far, even if I just had the two criteria. Um, and I felt like with lack of fever, redness, he's pretty comfortable with ranging at the odds that my white count and ESR were sky high or probably pretty low. Um, so that's why I decided not to go down that pathway. Yeah, no, I, I mostly agree with everything you're saying. Um, personally, if this kid came in, 
um, you know, not really putting much weight on there. I probably would have gotten labs, but the labs in this case would have been stone cold normal. Um, and it, had you decided to go ahead with an arthrocentesis, there was going to be a lovely orthopedics resident who would have done it for you. And <laughs> the tap would have would have had 11,000 WBCs. Do you know what the kind of diagnostic cutoff for what we call septic arthritis is? I think it's 50,000. Yeah, good. See, you know so much more than you think you know. Um, <laughs> it's always in the the stress of the moment I'm um, trying to remember and the mind just goes blank and then it somewhat comes back once the stress is over. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. I, I very much remember how stressful these cases were. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is all great stuff. Um, the other category of things that I would mention in the differential for the limping kid, and this is kind of my own internalization of these diagnoses, but I just remember them as like the weird peds ortho stuff, stuff like Osgood Schlatter, Skiffy, LCP, you know, that kind of stuff. Remember those from med school? Yeah, I, the reason I didn't think as much about those is because this kid's a little young for a lot of those things yes. but if it was more of like a school-aged child i think those are all gonna have to be on your differential agreed agreed and the plain films would have showed any of these diagnoses i'm just saying it out loud um great so let's go through the critical actions so unfortunately one of the critical actions was missed in a potential dangerous action which we'll talk about but you got everything else and you almost aced this case um so the first critical action I had was consider or evaluate for non-accidental trauma, which you did. You you looked for bruising elsewhere. You kind of asked about social life at home. You, you made it clear you were thinking about it. So I'll give you that. Um, number two, evaluate for septic arthritis, which you did. You know, you considered things. Um, number three, treat the child's pain. Give the kid NSAIDs. Otherwise, the kid would have continued to refuse to bear any weight on that leg. Uh, number four was diagnose what is likely arthritis from Lyme disease based on symptoms and rash. And then the fifth critical action was treat appropriately. And doxycycline, I mean, so it's it's becoming a little controversial, and I'll give you that. But classically and for your board exam, you should not be giving doxycycline in a kid less than eight years old unless they have a like a rickettsial, you know, Rocky Mountain spotted fever kind of illness. Um, Maybe that's you know what I was that... thinking of because I know you're not supposed to give doxy under eight, but I thought it was Lyme that you still gave it anyway. And I think it's RMSF. Yeah, it's Rocky Mountain spotted fever that you, you give it anyway. Okay. However... I will say that um, there is emerging literature coming out saying that doxy for a course of less than 21 days in a kid of any age is very low likelihood of causing the, the side effects that we're trying to avoid in young kids. And do you know what that major side effect is? Uh, I know it affects the bone and the teeth, and that's about all I remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like severely discolored teeth is like the big thing. Um, but in general, and I, I still practice this way, um, kids under eight, you are using second line therapy for Lyme. And do you know what that is? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it is amoxicillin. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
Going into the weeds here, technically um, Lyme disease, I believe, is just general Lyme based off of the rash that you diagnosed. Um, I, erythema migraines um, is a two-week course of doxy, but if they are having joint pain as well, that brings it up to a four-week course, which um, under the age of eight is contraindicated definitely. Um, but I don't expect anyone, you know, EM docs who aren't looking this up on shift to know this at the top of their head that Lyme arthritis is twice as long as, uh, you know, cutaneous manifestations of Lyme. So going into the weeds there a little bit, um, but the, the correct answer would have been amoxicillin for this child. So unfortunately for that reason, I don't think you would have passed this case, but it's like one of those things where you would have passed with flying colors had you chose amoxicillin. Got it. Okay. Well, that's a good pearl. Yeah. Um, otherwise, do you have any other questions about the case itself? For, for Before you answer that, the deep dive this month is all going to be about the, the pediatric limp. So we'll go through the Coker criteria and the, the exact percentages, you know, if you hit one of the four criteria or two of the four criteria, and then all the other things, non-accidental trauma, septic arthritis, et cetera, et cetera. Aside from kind of all that coming up on the deep dive, do you have any other questions about the case? No, I don't think so, but that was a good one to think through. Cool. And now does it make sense? It's all about the the journey and not the destination. (laughs) Yes. Well, the destination, I was like, why did he specifically mention Philadelphia? Hmm. I thought it was going to be like a mass casualty or something after a football game. I was like, where is he going with this? Oh, yeah. No, I was just trying to give you a very much Lyme endemic region. Um, And being that I am from Philadelphia and I just watched my Phillies uh, blow the NLCS, um, I figured. And Philly is like a lot, very much Lyme endemic region. I figured we could put that location there. But I was more trying, the whole point of this case was trying to get you to work through the differential of the the limping child. You know, is this NAT? Is this trauma? Is this, you know, um, a septic joint? Is this transient synovitis? All that stuff, which you did. And I think you did a great job of doing that. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a good one. Um, aside from this case, how are things going in residency? Have you had any cool rotations or cool cases or done any cool procedures recently? Uh, yeah, it's been good. I've been almost exclusively in the department for the first several months, which has been fun and getting to do some more intubations. Um, I got to do my, um, I did a large bore chest tube, which was exciting because we do a lot of pigtails now and I hadn't done a large bore yet. So that was really exciting. Um, yeah, it's been good. That, uh, the sensation of going through the chest wall on your first large bore chest tube is absolutely terrifying. Is it not? Yeah. I had done just some, uh, decompressions. Um, but it's still, it's such a bizarre feeling to be on the inside of someone's rib cage. It's just, Oh yeah. And you're like, I should not be needing to push this hard to penetrate. And then all of a sudden it gives way and like four of your fingers are in the chest wall. I remember my first one. I was like, I don't think I did that right. And everyone was like, nope, you You did. That's what you do. Yeah. (laughs) As you hear the whoosh coming out. Yeah, it's quite wild. I didn't get a satisfying whoosh. Like there was air that came out, but I guess the room was kind of busy and um, people were like, do you hear a whoosh of air? I'm like, I don't think so. I don't know. 
<laughs> You'll get one. You you will get. There will be many more satisfying wishes in your career. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, how has attending hood been treating you now that you're a little bit further in? Uh, good. I, I mean, I, I'm still seeing things that I've never seen before. So even even though I've been in attending for it's almost been a year and a half. Um, like the other day, I saw my first uh, rust ring, corneal rust ring with a true ulcer around it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I was fully ready to attempt to do a bird drill. And I thought we didn't have any at my site. So I ended up sending the guy to Optho the next morning. But then I worked a shift a week later, and I had to take a foreign body out of, I, I don't remember where it was, but I was looking in the, the Optho and ENT cart, and turns out we had burrs at, like, at our freestanding ER, and I could have tried it. Oh, wow. So I'm kind, of, I'm kind of bummed I didn't get the opportunity to try that, but now I know the next one is there, and I can, you know, if I'm feeling confident about it, I can give it a shot. Yeah, I finally learned how to use the slit lamp. So that's been a win of second year. Um, I, oh well, my God. I would say most of the way learned how to use the slit lamp. Definitely much better than I was using it first year. Hey, at, at least you're trying. <laughs> there, I, I, I know there's a lot of ER doctors out there that just don't believe in slit lamps and they never use them. And for the most part, that's me. But I know how to use it and bust it out when I need to. Like for, for this rust ring... Um, it was the first time I actually used a slit lamp at this freestanding ER and our slit lamp seemed like it was 20 years old and <laughs> probably took me about 10 minutes to figure out where all the buttons were and how to adjust everything. But they're, they're all relatively similar. And once you learn how to use one, you can pick up the rest. Yeah. We had a very nice ophthalmologist that put a bunch of labels on ours. That's like, this is the on button. This moves the light around. <laughs> It's very helpful, <laughs> but I'm trying to like look That's... at them without the patient telling that I'm looking at the labels. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. No, I, I'm sure they appreciate all the care you're giving to them, regardless if you have to, you know, check on things a couple times. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up our case for the month. Uh, feel free to send us emails. You can send us any comments you might have, any questions, any feedback, and just to me, not to Maddie, any case ideas you might have for torturing Maddie. I'm having a lot of fun writing these on my own, and I've gotten a couple that I have saved in the bank for third year, but I'm still looking for some more moderate difficulty cases to torture Maddie with. So send them my way. My email is mike, M-I-K-E, at emclerkship.com. And my email is maddie, M-A-D-D-I-E, at emclerkship.com. And until next time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.